U.S. farmers and ranchers in action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Farm. Welcome to Farm Food Facts for January 27, 2021. I'm your host, Phil Lempert. Today, it's all about dairy, and it should be. As many of you have heard me say you know, many times before, my grandfather is a dairy farmer in Belleville, New Jersey. Um, I grew up not on the farm itself, but when the farm was closed, we still had all the barns and everything else. So when it comes to dairy, uh, my heart is there. So with us today is Marilyn Hershey, a dairy farmer who operates a 600 cow dairy farm in Pennsylvania with her husband, Dwayne. She serves as the chair at Dairy Management Inc. and is also a published author. She's the secretary of the Mid-Atlantic Dairy Association Speakers Bureau and serves on the National Dairy Promotion and Research Board, among other various community organizations. Marilyn recently joined the USFRA Board of Directors in 2020. Welcome, Marilyn, to the board and welcome to Farm Food Facts. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. So, Marilyn, I hate to start, you know, this conversation this way, but how has COVID affected dairy? Well, you know, I think we all saw um, early on there were some really, uh, uh, there were a lot of effects in the store. You know, people were in a panic. People were fear buying. Um, and, and I had a neighbor that purchased seven gallons of milk and had them in her freezer just because she wasn't sure, you know, would she have milk in the next week uh, to feed her family? So I, you know, off the bat, we saw a lot of um, uh, things happening in the grocery stores. That's where we saw that, uh, you know, food service is a, a, you know, they use a lot of dairy and we and rely they on real them. dairy. They use real dairy. Um, they use real cream. They use a lot of butter. They use a lot of milk and there's a lot of cheese in food service. And so there's there's a tremendous amount of dairy products that are used in food service. And you look at across the board and across the country and realize how many of these restaurants are shut down or were shut down early on. And and it it did impact us uh, a tremendous amount. Um, and we were able to uh, one thing the checkoff was able to do is. Uh, one thing we saw was uh, stores and grocery stores were putting limits on how much milk that that consumers could buy. And so we were able to call them and tell them, look, we have the milk. There's not a limit that you will get milk to put on yourself. Please do not limit people um, for the amount because it just it just added to the fear. Absolutely. And, you know, that that's an important lesson that was learned out of this for you to be able to reach out and communicate to those retailers and say, you know, don't limit it. We've, we've got the supply. What are some of the other lessons that you've learned as a result of the pandemic? You know, one of the lessons I think about so much is uh, the relationships. <clears throat> so we had relationships that were already established with Feeding America. We had relationships that were established with um, <clears throat> the food service partners that we have. Uh, you know, pizza was was a food that that people still bought pizza, bought it takeout, were able to get it takeout, 
And we were able to work with our partners and do some extra promotions. Um, Pizza Hut in particular did a promotion, gave away um, a ton of pizzas, gave away a pizza to every senior that graduated. Um, and it was a promotion deal with Pizza Hut and with the dairy farmers. Um, so, you know, we had, we, we just had to, we went to each of one of our partners and talked to them. Is there anything special we can do? Is there anything extra we can do? And so through food service that we're still operating, so McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, um, they, they all, and Domino's, they all, you know, stepped up. Uh, we also did, did a couple other pizza places that we don't typically have a, a ongoing uh, partnership with, but we were able to through COVID. And um, if I can just for a minute go back to Feeding America, that was a critical relationship for us to already have established because they saw a huge increase in, in demand in their uh, food banks. And we were able to work with them and move a significant volume of milk through their through Feeding America. So, and and I agree with you. I love Feeding America. I think they do, um, and and it certainly during COVID, have done a phenomenal job. Uh, they really have. Um, when when you're talking, what comes to mind is probably the only benefit of the pandemic has been collaboration that I've seen, whether it's farmers, ranchers, retailers, Feeding America, everybody working together so much more uh, than I've ever seen in, in my career. Are you seeing the same thing? I, I would say absolutely. And, and it goes back to um, you know, having those relationships in place. It gave us the ability to really work and get things done at a, at a much faster pace, at a much stronger pace than if we would have had to call Feeding America and establish that relationship right off the bat. Um, but absolutely, people were, um, you know, people were, you know, I'll go back to go to schools, just pivot to schools just for a minute. You know, when you look at schools and, you know, all of a sudden these children who are who are food insecure are not in the building to get their to get their milk, milk and, and their protein yeah and and yeah. food. <laughs> so yeah. you know we worked with an organization we have um, called Gen Youth, and they worked with schools and USDA actually uh, lifted the the um, requirement for you know a certain volume being served in schools, and they let us be able to serve whatever volume we could get into a school. And so children were able to go home with, you know, a half a gallon of milk as opposed to a single serve. And, you know, you know, just, just to be able to get food into their hands was just a, a true collaborative effort across, across every, you know, everybody was agreeable. Everybody wants to be able to help those children and get dairy into their hands. Yeah. I, you know, I love the example that you just gave, um, having, you know, a school kid being able to bring a half a gallon of milk home to to their family that I don't want to say they're starving, but they're food insecure. I, I really think that over the past year, um, so much of food insecurity, so much of immunity, so much of health and wellness, so much of the importance of real foods 
have really come and bubbled to the surface that coming out of this, and we will come out of this, um, I think we're all going to be so much better off. You know, people, you bring up a really valid, strong point. People want to know where their food comes from. They want food. They want real food. And they want something, with, you know, that's also tastes delicious. And dairy just checks each one of those boxes. It's nutritious. It's something that's going to help their immune system. It's something that's going to, to uh, you know, it's a, it's a good fat for them. You know, it's going to fill them up. And, and it really is a, a nutritious product that, um, that will help them in the future. And so it's, it's, it's nice to be able to give them some nourishment as well. Absolutely. You know, when I was growing up, and obviously my father grew up on a dairy farm, uh, we always had ice cream in the house. And, you know, our neighbors and my parents, friends and whatever else, you know, would talk about it. My father said, ice cream is a food. It's dairy. <laughs> it is a food. So um, when, when we look at the past, you know, 10 months or so, what are any of the consumer trends that you've seen? Have there been any surprises? You know, for me, uh, the one that's probably the most upsetting, and, and I probably shouldn't say this, is when people went to supermarkets and when cow's milk was not available and they'd go to oat milk um, or other you know, plant-based milks. And all of a sudden we saw all the press releases from Nielsen and IRI saying, oh my God, you know, all these, all these alternatives are growing by leaps and bounds, hundreds of percentages, but it was on such a tiny base. Yeah. You know, it didn't make a difference. And, and those are the kinds of, of reporting that really annoys me because, you know, that's misleading to the average consumer. I think that probably, so the misleading of information is probably, you know, people are trusting whatever they read on their cell phones. And, you know, it's not necessarily fact-based. It's not science-based. And so that's, you know, that's something that we, we really would like to just remind people, you know, let's look at the facts. Let's look at, do some research. When you see a claim, do some research on it. Find out the facts on it. Don't just uh, point blank believe something that you read on on social media, uh, whatever platform, you know, we're using. Um, because it is, it is, uh, that's, you know, people do tend to think that, you know, well, the, the, the other juices are, are growing at such a great rate. They're, they're not in comparison to how, how dairy is being purchased and how dairy is, is, you know, dairy is in, uh, 95% of the homes. So 95% of the households have dairy in them, whether they also have, uh, you know, an, an oat juice or something like that. They may, you know, they, I think that percentage is up to 40% where people will have both in their refrigerators, but dairy is there. Yeah. And, and what's so important is also turning around the package, looking at the nutritional information, reading the ingredients and seeing what's added to a lot of these products. Um, and, you know, when it comes to cow's milk, nothing's added. Nothing. Nothing. Bad. No. And you, so, you, so, you can't beat the protein. Yeah. You know, you look at the value and the and the, the protein level that's in a glass of milk and and you can't beat that. And also, you know, the naturally occurring sugars versus the added sugars. Very important for people to understand the difference there. Absolutely. 
and it's, you know, the digestibility is very important. You know, a glass of milk is, is digested much better and, you know, it nourishes your body the way it should, as opposed to those other um, beverages that have so much added to them. Yeah. So I'd like you to look, and this is a hard question, into your crystal ball. Um, Post-COVID, what's the direction that dairy is headed in? And do we have to make any changes to that? Well, I think, you know, I think COVID has shown us we have, we have to make changes. Um, people want innovation. People want innovative products. People want dairy in new ways. And we have to get it to them. We have to be able to have that innovation and hand it to them. So, you know, and, and at a much faster pace. Okay. So people don't have the patience to wait the years that it takes to develop a product. They want a new product and, you know, they want it now. And so we have to be quicker at our research development. We have to be quicker at our innovation. And, and that's where I think checkoff is so strong. It's a, it's a promotion and research board. Um, it, we do a lot of research and we have to, maybe we have to tweak that research and, and, um, figure out how can we innovate in a much quicker and more sustainable way. So last question. Um, I've heard a lot about the net zero initiative. What is it? Who's involved? What's being done? And how is it going to benefit us? So the bottom line is net zero. Net zero is being talked about across the globe. And it is something when I became involved more intently with, um, with the FAO, the Food and Ag Organization, I was hearing net zero from a lot of different countries and I was hearing about different regulations they were, they were having for net zero. And our net zero initiative is really a project that we are trying to move forward that, that will allow farmers to move with it, to allow farmers to have input as opposed to a government regulated, um, you know, regulation that's coming down and, and putting asks on farmers that are not reasonable. We want net zero. Net zero is, is we're not looking at net zero to be, uh, you know, every single farm across the country will arrive to the net zero um, initiative, but it's collectively coming together as an industry. So all farms coming together with what we do. We may have some farms that are already operating at a net zero impact, so, so, you know, they have a zero impact on the, on the environment. We, we may have some farms that, you know, they're not going to be able to do every single new technology that comes down, you know, comes through the pipeline. But it's being able to collectively come together as an industry, all farms working together. Not every farm will get there, but every farm can do something. So something as small as, you know, a few years ago, Dwayne and I, um, we swapped out the lights in our freestall barn for LED lights. I was blown away with the um, savings that we had by taking out those higher wattage light bulbs and putting in LED lights. That's a small example, but that is, you know, that's, that's one example. We do have, um, in the Net Zero Initiative, we have some farms that we're doing some testing with technology. Those are larger farms. As the technology is developed, we hope to scale that back. 
so that um, it can be used on all size farmers. But you know, we have, a, a, you know, you could look, we, we need to look at manure as a commodity on our, on our farms. And that's, that's where we, that's where we want to get to, not just the net zero project where we're not contributing, we're contributing less to the environment with our, with our GHGs and our carbon, but also how can that bring a value, a financial value back to the farm? So a couple thoughts. Number one is what I love about net zero is that the farmer has a seat at the table. So part of it, not only just being able to, as you pointed out, having a regulation that says you have to do this, but really understanding what farmers are looking for and how to execute it. Uh, second, on, on manure, a couple of years ago when I was one of the judges at uh, DMI's Innovation Awards, I love cow pots, um, where here's a farmer's daughter who said, okay, I'm going to make pots out of manure that, that's going to be able to grow um, flowers or plants or whatever else, faster, easier, smarter, and, and whatever else. Um, so I love what you're doing and keep up the great work. And thank you so much for being with us on Farm Food Facts today. Oh, thank you. This has truly been a pleasure. So thank you very much. U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Forum. Our movement sponsors, United Soybean Board and National Pork Board. Our presenting sponsors, Wells Fargo, Cargill, and DMI. Our platinum sponsor, the Native American Agriculture Fund. Our gold sponsors, Bader Rudder, Bayer, Corteva, Dairy West, Edelman, Ernst & Young, the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, Frog, McDonald's, Nebraska Soybean Board, and Nutrien. Our silver sponsors, CoBank and OCP North America. Our bronze sponsor, Nestle Purina. Our copper sponsor, Ruan. And our donor sponsor, Tyson. For more on all things food and agriculture, please visit us at usfarmersandranchers.org. Also, be sure to look out for us on Facebook at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers and on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.